Uh, well, guys, I am in John chapter 5, and uh, we're going to start in verse 1. If your Bible has nifty little titles like mine, it says the third sign. So you know that we're in the right place. So uh, if you're wanting to look ahead and cheat for next week, you just go through and look for the subtitle. It says the fourth sign. You'll find it, okay? Uh, but here we are, the third sign. And this is what it says, John 5, starting in verse 1. It says, after this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate. In Jerusalem, there was a, a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, uh, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and realized that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm, I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Now, your Bible, like mine, you may have thought, uh, man, did he skip a couple verses? So, so if we go back to, I don't want to get crazy, but, but, but there's some oral tradition that our version here isn't going to have. And the oral tradition was this, that uh, sometimes the, wor- the waters at this pool would be stirred, they said, by angels' wings. And the first one down into the water would be healed miraculously. And so this is like a little bit of a, uh, like, oh gosh, we're going to gather here. So this, this place, when you say like all the disabled here, they're just hoping that the water will be stirred so that the first one in can be healed. So they're, they're kind of putting their hope in, in, in this, this thing that happens from time to time. So just, just kind of know that's what's going on. So listen, again, one man was there, been disabled, uh, 38 years. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? His response, sir, I, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well. He picked up his mat and he started to walk. Now, that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. Come on now. Right? Like, that's my house. I've been living here. I've just been healed and can walk. I've been here 38 years. I haven't been able to walk. been disabled and, and this guy told me to get up, pick up my mat. I did it, and here I am walking. And you're like, how dare you carry a mat? This is the Sabbath, right? I mean, this is how they come off, right? So, so listen. Now, it's the Sabbath. The Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed didn't know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd uh, that was there. After this, though, Jesus found him in the temple and he said to him, See, you are well. Don't sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. Tattletale, right? I found the guy, there he is. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing things on the Sabbath. This is where it all shifts in the ministry of Jesus. Now, verse 17 says, Jesus responded to them, My father is still working, and I am working also. He's talking about the Sabbath. My father, my father doesn't stop work, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to do what he's doing. It says, it's, it says, verse 18, this is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. 
And uh, this morning, there's three things I want to share with you as we study this third sign, guys. And, and here's the first. I, I want you to know this because uh, in our world, we, we get this wrong all the time. We, so, so I'm just going to correct it this morning. Ready? First point, I want you to know that God helps the helpless. All right? God helps the helpless. That's what God does. Now, I, I know you've heard the saying, God helps those who help themselves. Uh, that ain't in the Bible. All right? It's not. In fact, you can study it from cover to cover. You're not going to find that statement in the Scripture because it's not Scripture, right? We've kind of made it into Scripture because that's who we are. We like to do stuff. We like to make rules. We like, we like well, well you've got to change it. You've got to do it. But guess what? Spiritually, the Bible would actually tell you the opposite is true, that spiritually speaking, there is nothing we can do to help ourselves. Nothing. Nothing that we can do spiritually to help ourselves. And so when Jesus walks into this place, I want you to know that place was a very real place. They've actually found it. Uh, Archaeologists have actually located this place for a long time. They couldn't. They found this place. But the people that gathered in that place, while very real, were also a picture of who we are spiritually. All right? So I want you to notice the descriptors. I'll put it up on the screen. Verse 3 through 5 says, Within these uh, colonnades lay a large number of the disabled. All right? That's that's who's here. Disabled people are here. And we're given three descriptors for the type of disabled people that are here. Ready? Blind, lame, and paralyzed. Blind, lame, and paralyzed. And while this was true of them physically, I want you to know that it's also true of us spiritually, right? In in, in John chapter 3, Jesus has a conversation with a a man named Nicodemus under the cover of darkness. And when he's telling Nicodemus he has to be born again, he utters these words in John 3, 3. So I'm going to start, we're going to talk about our spiritual disabilities. Let's start with blindness. John 3, 3, Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot what? He can't see. The kingdom of God. Unless we're born again, we're spiritually blind. That's what the text says in John 3, 3. When we get to John chapter 6, Jesus still teaching is going to tell us not only are we spiritually blind, but man, we are, are spiritually lame. John 6, 44. No one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws them. No one can come. No one can come to me. Nobody. You can't do it. We can't, we can't decide one day, oh God, I need you. I'm going to come get you. I'm going to come after you. I'm, I'm going to, there's nothing we can do. It has to be initiated by God, right? So we're spiritually blind. We're spiritually lame. And, and the last uh, descriptor was paralyzed, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul uh, does a great job in the book of Romans describing his battle with the flesh, Right? His battle with temptation and sin in the flesh. And this is how he describes it. I, I don't know a better description for being paralyzed. Here it is, Romans seven eighteen. He says, For I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, uh, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me. But what? But there's no ability to do it. I want to walk in righteousness, but I, there's no ability for me. I'm spiritually paralyzed. Okay? So y'all listen, I know what you've heard. I know that somehow it sounds churchy, that God helps those who help themselves. Couldn't be further from the truth. God helps the helpless. We are the ones in need, right? We're not the ones who come to God and be like, hey, look, I've got it all figured out. You should use somebody like me. No, you're a mess. You're a wreck. That's who we are. That's who we are. So spiritually, y'all, we are helpless, but there is good news. Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, he has come, and he has come to help the helpless. Amen?
All right, so that's the first thing we get here. Second thing, and this is really the heart of this second sign, y'all. Second thing I want you to see this morning is that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. That Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. So I just kind of want to set the table for you uh, of what's going on. So the Pharisees, when Jesus shows up at this time in the New Testament, the Pharisees, uh, they believe that in order for the Messiah to come, which is crazy because the Messiah is standing right before them. But anyway, okay, they've missed that. But they believe for the Messiah to come that all of the people of Israel must perfectly live out the law of God. So if the people of God will perfectly be righteous, then they will force the hand of God in heaven to send down the Messiah. So their whole passion is life is to explain the law to such a degree that anyone will know exactly what to do. Okay? All right? So that's, that's kind of... So, so listen, uh, in order... When it comes to... There was one command... Uh, the Sabbath, and I'm going to get into what the Sabbath was, but there was one command from God about this thing that he calls the Sabbath, and, and the Pharisees, trying to explain what it means not to work on the Sabbath, have created 39 classes of work, okay? So they, they, they took one command, said don't work on the Sabbath, and they said, well, what exactly is work? They came up with 39 categories. Each category has subset laws of what, what work actually is and things you could and couldn't do. Because they thought, well, we've just got to make it easy for the people, right? And so here's the craziness. All that stuff was meant to point to Jesus. It wasn't meant to force the hand of God to send Jesus. It was all meant to point to Jesus. So here is the Messiah that they are hoping will come standing before them. And get this, they say to him about about the Sabbath that points to him, they say, you have broken the thing that points to you. It's crazy, right? So how do we get that far? How do we get there? Well, to, to understand it, we've got to go back and understand what the Sabbath is. You know, the Sabbath in the Old Testament actually isn't mentioned until Exodus. It's not mentioned until Moses on Mount Sinai. And maybe you guys remember the story that God's people uh, were held captive in Egypt. That's where they grew into a great nation. God sends Moses as a deliverer. Uh, We've got the ten plagues. Uh, Then they cross uh, the Red Sea on on dry ground. God splits the waters. They cross on dry ground. Well, well then God says, hey, I'm going to take you to the promised land. But first, we've got to stop. We need to go to the mountain of God, Mount Sinai. So we're going to go to Mount Sinai, and God says, there I'm going to do three things. So Moses is up on the mountain 40 days. Why did it take so long? Because God's establishing three things. Number one, he says, if you're going to be my people, I'm going to be your God. Uh, You've got to have laws to live by. So he's going to give them rules to live by. You go ahead and rule, because I'm holy and you're not. So I'm going to give you rules to live by. Number two, because you're not holy and I am, we've got to have a a way uh, to atone for your sin. So, so God creates this entire sacrificial system. If you've ever read the book of Leviticus and you've been like, oh, snoozy. Um, that, like that's, God's giving all that up on the mountain. Like super crazy instructions. And then finally God said, hey, if I'm going to live amongst you, I have to have a holy place to dwell where my spirit can dwell. And so he gives them instructions for the tabernacle. That's a lot of information in 40 days. All right? But in the Ten Commandments, there's one command that has to deal with this thing called Sabbath. It's in Exodus 20, verse 8 through 11. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male female servant, your livestock, or the resident alien who's within your city gates. That's it. That's the command. Okay? Don't do any work. You don't do any work. 
Husband don't do any work. Wife don't do any work. Animals don't do any work. Servants don't do any work. Kids don't do any work. Don't do any work. Don't do anything that would produce for you. Don't do, don't do, that's the command. Don't do any work. Nobody. Nobody do any work. Don't make your animals work. Nobody work. All right, that's it. Okay, and then he says, for the Lord, uh, this is the next slide, for the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days, then he rested on the seventh day, therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. So that's, that's where, that's, now listen, so God, in Exodus 20, as he gives this command, uh, he references creation, but this is the first time that this is actually given here, like we're all the way now in Exodus, like Moses is up on Mount Sinai. So that's where the Sabbath is introduced. Now, the next time we read about the Sabbath, apart from the law, uh, that means apart from, from either it, it happening here or apart from Levitical law, because in Leviticus there's instructions about uh, what, what priests are to do, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the only other place we read about it is with the prophet Jeremiah. So the prophet Jeremiah, uh, in Jeremiah 17, 21 through 22, he says this. He says, this is what the Lord says. Watch yourselves. Don't pick up a load and, and bring it through Jerusalem's gates on the Sabbath day. Do not carry a load out of your houses on the Sabbath day or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy just as I commanded your ancestors. That's, that's the only other place we see it. That's the only other place we see it. And then something crazy happens. Jesus comes. Jesus comes. And Jesus, uh, while well, all these people are interpreting the Sabbath, again, and by the way, not only did they have 39 categories, they figured out ways to, to work around all of the things in those categories. For instance, all right, so uh, this guy's in trouble for carrying a mat. Well, you can't carry a burden, right? Do you know what he could have done to get out of it? It's crazy. He could have wore the mat around him like, like, uh, like, like, like some kind of outer garment. He could have done that. Because, listen, you, couldn't, you could do laundry the day before the Sabbath, but you couldn't take it down and put it away on the Sabbath. But you know what you could do? You could go out to the line, you could put on every garment and wear it inside the house, and then you could put it away. And that wasn't considered breaking the Sabbath. Now, folding it, not putting it on and putting it away, that's breaking the Sabbath. But if you put it on yourself first and you wear it into the house, that's not breaking the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, you could only travel a certain distance according to the Pharisees. It was like a thousand fill-in-the-blank something or others, right? Um, that's how far you could go is a thousand kilometers. Um, and, and whatever, I can't remember the measurement, I'm sorry. But, but that's how far you could go on a Sabbath day. Unless you stopped at 999 and you ate a meal. Because if you ate a meal there, then that established that place as a home or a residence for the evening. Then you could travel another 999. You could eat another meal and then you could travel. You could go all across Israel as long as you had prepared places to stop and eat. Right? It's crazy. And so Jesus comes into that. Right? He comes into that, and, and something astounding happens when he dies on the cross and when he is raised from the dead. All of that stuff, all of those people that followed those things to a rule, it just comes to a screeching halt in his followers. Okay? It comes to a screeching halt in his followers. And the Apostle Paul describes it like this. Uh, I want you to see the work of the cross. Colossians 2, 14. Uh, I'm going to put the King James Version just because I like its translation a little better. It says, on, on the cross that Jesus blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that were against us, which were contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. He's talking about the law. He says, listen, on the cross, Jesus took the law... And, and he nailed it there. 
He, he, he literally, he blotted out all of the handwriting of that law. In other words, he's saying like, like it's done. If you don't think it's done, read on. Colossians 2, uh, 16 through 17. He says, therefore, right? Because listen, in, in the New Testament, there are no instructions about Sabbath. Did you know that? In the New Testament, from Jesus, post-resurrection, in the church age, there are zero instructions about Sabbath. Zero, right? Because it's all meant to point to Jesus. So this is, what, this is how Paul describes this. This is what happened on the cross. He says, therefore, in fact, it's kind of the opposite. There are instructions not to follow, okay? So therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a... Don't let anyone judge you with that Sabbath junk. That's what Paul says. That's the instruction post-resurrection. Pre-resurrection, oh, you better have your stuff together on Friday. Dude, Saturday, you can't touch anything unless you're really smart about it and you put on the laundry and you walk it in and you put it away and you go somewhere. To, like, all of that is done because Jesus on the cross just blotted it out. He just blots it out. And, and, and so what, what, what do Christians then observe? Man, if, if Jesus blotted out all those Sabbath regulations, what on earth are we doing, right? Anybody wonder now? You were like, I thought I was good, Pastor. I thought I was, I was supposed to take Sabbath day of rest and thought I had all that. Listen, uh, by the way, everything points to Jesus, right? By the way, notice, can we go back to 16 and 17? Look at the, the last part. He says, uh, don't let anyone judge you because of Sabbath day. But he says, these are a shadow of what was to come. Those things were all meant to point to something else. And ready, it says, the substance is Christ. Can I ask you a question? What was the Sabbath meant to be? It was meant to be a day of, y'all speak out, rest. And yet, when we find Jesus, what does he say to me? Come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Ever notice that it doesn't matter how many days off you have, you're still tired? Follow me? Jesus is our Sabbath, right? He's Lord of the Sabbath. It all points to him. So, as Christians, where does that leave us? What do we observe? And that's our last point. Ready? Got to watch time. That's our last point. Um, Ready? Sunday. Sunday. Let me say that again. Sunday. Oh, I should say it together. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Okay. Uh, Sunday, the Lord's Day, is meant to be a weekly celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Sunday, that's the Lord's Day, is meant to be a, you might, if you've got a way to circle that word weekly, I would have I given you more blanks. It's weekly celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. So listen, y'all, in the New Testament, there's an immediate change in the followers of Jesus, right? All the people that hung out with Jesus, and remember, while Jesus is living on earth, they, they still observe Sabbath, right? So, I mean, granted, they did it differently, because Jesus is like, nope, those rules aren't right, so they're walking through a field, you know, they're, they're eating. He's like, that's, you're not breaking Sabbath, that's okay. But, but listen, uh, post-resurrection, everything changes in the, in the New Testament, in the life of believers. So, it's no longer about Saturday, it's all about Sunday. Why? Because that was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. That's the day the women went to the empty tomb. So if you were to study the book of, uh, well, you could start in the Gospels and then you could study through the book of Acts, you're going to see some really important things happen on this day, Sunday, right? Uh, Jesus uh, is resurrected on Sunday, okay? He will eventually ascend into heaven on Sunday. Uh, The Holy Spirit is going to come, guess when? 
on Sunday, right? Uh, and, and, and so much so, this becomes such a part of the church culture that Paul writes the Corinthian church, and he's like, do you know when you should meet? You guys should meet on Sunday. You should meet on Sunday. It just becomes part of the DNA. You say, well, how, well why is that? What exactly changed? What happened? And, and I'm going to tell you, what happened is that Scripture was fulfilled. Prophecy was fulfilled, okay? So if we went back to the book of Psalms, Psalm 118, uh, has this little thing we don't fully understand. We're going to try to understand it this morning. Here we go. Psalm 118, verse 22 through 24 says this. It says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone or the capstone. Uh, this came from the Lord. Uh, it is wondrous in our sight. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. This is the day. All right? So listen, what happened is, is the stone you rejected became the cornerstone, and, and this is the day the Lord has made. Now we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And so oral tradition, uh, Jewish oral tradition goes like this. They're building the Temple of Solomon. And when they're building the Temple of Solomon, the way it worked in that day is basically they cut all the stone down in a quarry. It was already pre-cut, and then they would send it to the site and put it in place. They weren't cutting it. Uh, they're at the site. They're cutting it in the quarry. And so they cut a piece in the quarry. They send it to the site. Uh, the builders are, are, are building, and they get this piece, and they're like, what on earth is this? Like, this doesn't, this doesn't fit anywhere. So they, they just, they cast it aside. They cast it aside, completely forgot about it. They went on building the temple. They get to the very end, and they're like, dude, we need a piece to hold this together. We, we need a piece to hold it all together so it doesn't fall apart. And so they send news to the court, and like, where is the final piece? Where's the piece that holds it all together? And they're like, duh, we already sent it. And so the builders are like, wait, could that, could that be that, that piece that we rejected? And so they had to go searching for it. They find it, they put it, and the temple is all held in place. And the Bible says that that cornerstone, that capstone is Jesus, right? Is Jesus. And, and we know that because Peter says it. Acts 4, 11 through 12. Uh, it's the second sermon. He says, uh, this Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. Right? There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name uh, under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. So, check this out. Okay? Salvation comes through Christ, two things. Ready? Comes through Christ, two things. Through his, come on, help me out, church. Death and his resurrection. That's how we have life, right? So, Acts 4, he's like, hey, Jesus is the cornerstone Okay, and then he says, literally, there's salvation no, um, and no one else. There's no other name under heaven and earth which people must be saved. So, so we have life because of Christ's death and resurrection. Go back to Psalm 118. This is the day the Lord has made. Rejoice and be glad in it, right? And so everything changes for the Christian. Now what day is it? Sunday, the Lord's day, resurrection day. And forevermore, the followers of Jesus would meet together on that day and celebrate the fact that he is not dead, he is risen. That he is alive. He is alive. So what should we do on this day? Right? If, if, if this is not quote-unquote Sabbath, if we don't have laws over it, what should we do on this Lord's day every Sunday when we gather? Three things. I'll let you go after this. Three things. Well, I'll give you some application. These are the big things. This is what should happen when we gather weekly. Okay? 
Those gatherings should be full of these three things. Number one, joy. You have to write these down. I didn't give them to you. Number one, joy. Number two, worship. Okay? And number three, spiritual work. What? What? I thought the Sabbath was day of rest. It's a day of resting in Jesus. Right? It's a day of resting on his promises. We do three things when we gather. Okay? Okay? We're full of joy, we worship, and we do spiritual work on the Lord's day. And uh, I just want to show you that. And so Matthew 28, uh, 8 through 9, uh, the women have run to the tomb. They found the tomb empty. The angel of the Lord has spoken to them. It says, why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Right? And so they've gone now to tell others. Matthew 28, 8 through 9. So departing quickly from the tomb with fear and great what? Joy, so afraid, hello, because they just had an interaction with an angel, you'd be afraid too, okay? Like, ah, and, but, they're, but they're full of joy. So, so the, the very first day, resurrection day, it's full of joy, and it says they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them, and he said, greetings, right? And then it says that they came up, they took hold of his feet, and they worshiped him. Well, guess what? That word greetings uh, from Jesus uh, in the Greek the word actually means, it literally means rejoice. And, and, and it's in the imperative mood, which means it's more like a command. So, so listen, they leave the tomb, they are pumped because Jesus is alive. And then they see Jesus, and Jesus is like, rejoice! Rejoice! Be full of joy. Guys, when you come to church, this should be a day of joy. This should be a day of celebration. It should be a day of, you know what, my week stunk, but it's getting better today. Right? And it's a day of joy because Jesus is alive. And if Jesus is alive, it's the second point, our worship should be alive too. Right? Our worship should be alive too. Look at their natural response to this overflowing joy. They fell at his feet and they worshiped him. Just the outpouring. So what do I do on Sunday? Why, why, why do you set aside Sunday, the world will say. Say, man, I set aside Sunday because I need joy in my life. I don't really get it anywhere else. Not the kind of joy that is from the Lord. And I set aside Sunday as a day of worship because of the joy that I have in Jesus, man. And I'm going to fall at his feet. And I'm going to worship him. That's what these days are about. And y'all, that's why we need to make it a weekly deal. All right? It's, a, it, it, it's important. I'll talk about that here in a second. So uh, they fall at his feet worshiping. He said, what about that third thing, Pastor Jason? You said that we're supposed to do spiritual work. Why does the church say worship, learn, and serve? Why do we expect that? Uh, because Jesus said this, all right? It's from him. John 14, 12. He says, truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And when did he do them? Pharisees wanted to kill him. Did them on the Sabbath. Right? This Jesus was always at work. He said, my father's always working. Listen, on Sunday morning, you've got a chance to be a difference for a visitor. You can be the person that invites them here. You can be the person that sits with them, the person that greets them, that takes them out to lunch. You can be the person that teaches them the Bible. You can be the first smile they see at the door. You can be the one that takes care of their kids so that they can focus because their marriage is falling apart and they need to hear from the Lord. You can be any of those people on Sunday morning. That's what this day is about. We have our opportunity to be filled with joy, to fall at his feet, and we have our opportunity to serve others in his name. All right? 
It's a big deal. It's a big deal. All right, so how do we apply this message? Uh, and then I really do have to let you go. Uh, four things super quick. Number one, you've got to answer the question. You're going you're gonna to read this passage. You have to answer the question. You say, what do you mean, the question? Well, here's the question. Jesus still asking it of us today. Uh, ready? Do you want to get well? That's the question. Okay? Do you want to get well? And I love you, but I'm going to say to some of you in love that you are just like these paralyzed folk and you're standing around some superstitious thing that might help you feel better. And so maybe what you're staring at is, well, I just need a vacation. Maybe what you're staring at, if, if, if I could just get a day of rest, if I could just get a vacation. I know a lot of people that now they're going, well, well, we went through COVID, so I'm just going to stay at home on Sunday and sit on the couch. And it's not the same. Look, TV, it is not the same. Get your butt in church. Um, it's not the same. Right? And so that's not, that's not the day. It's not meant to be a day of rest anymore. Jesus is our rest. Worshiping him is where we find rest. So if you're not with his people, worship, man, it's really hard to find rest on my couch. It is. I mean, I think it is, but I'm, I'm never fully restful. So where else? They're looking at the water going, man, if it stirs, maybe, maybe that stirring water for you as well. If, if I, if I'm just going to have a little drink uh, at night. Maybe that's going to be my thing. Or I'm gonna, I mean, whatever you're turning to, to provide quote-unquote healing apart from Jesus, y'all. Jesus stands at your door knocking, going, hey, do you want to get well? I'm your rest. What are you turning to for rest in life, folks? What gives you rest from anxiety? Is it medication? Like, I understand there are seasons in life that that may be necessary, but man, at some point that season should be dropped off in the feet of Jesus. Be like, hey, listen. Where are you turning for rest? Jesus says to each of us the same thing that he says to this man. Do you want to get well? So you've got to answer that question. All right? You've got to really want it. You've got to really want it. A lot of people spend their life standing by a hope for a vacation, a hope for it. I mean, you feel, man, do you want to get well? All right? Second thing, um, understand your condition. Understand your condition. Ready? I love you, but you are not going to get well on your own. You're just not. Okay? Be like, no, I can do it. I can do it. Man, I, I do want Jesus, but I got I to gotta get some things straight first. Never happen. It'll never happen. It'll never happen. I, I mean, meet people all the time like, oh, I want to go to church, but I, I just need to get some things straight first. No, you need to go to church and meet Jesus, and he'll get the things straight for you. Because you can't do it on your own. You can't. You are spiritually disabled. We all are right? We are blind. We are lame and we are paralyzed to do the things that God wants us to do on our own and by ourselves. We need the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives to overcome the things that we face in this life, okay? Need it. Three, so you turn to Jesus. You turn to Jesus as Lord. This is where we find rest. Jesus is your rest, can I just speak that over you, over and Jesus is your rest. The only promised rest that there is in this world is Jesus Christ. All other things that we call rest are a shadow of the true rest we experience when we come before Jesus and we go, Ugh. that's it. Until that moment that you give him all your junk, until that moment that you come to him and go, oh my gosh, I'm such a wreck. I'm such a mess. I'm so tired. I'm, I'm, I'm such a phony. And you come before the Lord and you're like, I just need you to help me. I need you to take control. I need you to save me. And then at that moment when he comes into your life, all that other stuff is suddenly meaningless. It's meaningless. And you go, oh, that's what it's about. 
I'm a child of God and he's coming back to restore all things and this is all temporary? Okay, I got this, right? It's all meaningless. So we've got to turn to Jesus. Finally, uh, we need to weekly celebrate what the Lord has done. Okay? So I'm going to talk to my folks that uh, are still living in the Old Testament Sabbath days. Saying, well, I just need a day of rest. Couldn't make it to church, Pastor. I just needed, you know, I mean, that's biblical. Sabbath, just day of rest. It's biblical. I was just honoring the Lord there. Uh, Jesus is the Sabbath, y'all. So stop using that excuse. Okay? Jesus is the only place we find rest. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I still think there's a good New Testament. Like, Jesus withdrew at times. So I, I'm telling you, you need rest, but can I tell you where you need it? I love you. Your kid doesn't need to play every sport. They're not going to college in every sport. I love you. Okay? Seriously. They're not. They're, they're, they're just not. You don't need to be involved in every club. You just, you just don't need to be. You don't need to go to everything you're invited to. I love you. Some of those people want a gift. God bless them. Send them a gift card. See ya. Right? You, you have a day off, uh, and, and so, but we choose to fill that day. And then on the Lord's day, when we actually can find rest, we make every excuse for not being here. You know, the average Christian now attends church 1.7 times a month. That's the faithful. That's who we call faithful Christians right now in our world. Faithful Christians now attend church 1.7 times a month. And we wonder why the world is so dark, Right? Because none of us have rest. None of us have life, right? And we're going out. We're supposed to be the light of the world. We're all whooped, okay? 1.7 times ain't enough, y'all. You, you're not going to get what you need, okay? It's just not going to happen. So weekly celebrate what the Lord has done. I, I love you. And, and for those um, that are watching me online, I'm going to say this. I love you. Um, but if you're making an excuse for not being in church for any reason, then you're missing the point of this miracle, that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. It's about him. He's alive, and we should come and be overjoyed by the fact that if we're in him, we also have life. This should be a day about him, focused on worshiping him, and it should be a day that we focus on being like him. We have an opportunity to serve others, y'all. We've got to be those kind of people, all right? Do you guys pray with me? Father, thanks for loving us enough to give us your word. I pray that it speaks to our heart. God, many of us in this room, we need to be changed right now. Maybe it's a wrong belief of Sabbath. Maybe it's a wrong understanding of what we have in you. Wrong understanding of the life that comes only through your resurrection. Somebody here today, maybe they, they, need, to, they need to find that rest today. And, and today's going to be the day, Jesus. They just need to turn their life over to you and say, I'm so, so tired. Jesus, would, would you help me find rest? Come into my life. Take all these burdens, all these stresses, all this grief, everything I'm dealing with, God, just take it and let me find rest in you. And God, give them that rest. You promise you will. Uh, Lord, help us be your people. Help us look like you. And help this day be a day that we put on our calendars, that we know that we need, and that we show up with expectation to worship you in joy, right? And to be like you and all that we think, say, and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.